good morning, church. It's good to be see everyone who's gathered here in the Faith and Arts Center, along with those who are joining us online. Summer is beginning to wind down. We're already anticipating the start of school and lots of times of changes and transition in our lives. I also want to share with you some news in our congregation that Nick Houston shared this past week in an email. After a number of years of service to our church staff, Nick will be resigning effective next Sunday. He's had a wonderful opportunity to join a small CPA firm near his home, and it's a wonderful personal and professional opportunity. We will certainly miss Nick. He has done an amazing job here at Northside. I am delighted to share with you that we have hired his successor. Ken Snell is actually on site today. You'll see him with Nick, and if you have the chance, please introduce yourself. Nick has been serving for a number of years as the executive minister at North Atlanta Church of Christ in Dunwoody. And so while we hate to see Nick go, we're also excited about Ken joining us. Uh, Today we are continuing our summer worship series, Blessed to be a Blessing. And we're looking at the eight Beatitudes or blessings spoken by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we come to the penultimate, the seventh Beatitude, found in Matthew 5, verse 9, which declares, Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Throughout the series, we've seen each beatitude contains three elements. There's the declaration of blessing, blessed are, the status of those who are blessed, the peacemakers, and the result of that blessing, they will be called children of God. And today we're really focusing on this concept of Peace. But our world has misused, overused, and abused the word peace to the point where it's almost unrecognizable. It's like a coin that has been in circulation so long that the image and the date have just been worn off. We experience very little peace on earth. There are always wars and rumors of war. Even the term peacekeeper has a rather checkered past in American history. In 1873, the United States Army adopted the Colt single-action revolver as its official sidearm. The civilian version of the 45 revolver was called the peacekeeper. It's a rather ironic name for a gun, isn't it? In 1985, the United States Air Force deployed the MX missile system, intercontinental ballistic missile tipped with 12 independent re-entry vehicles, each having a 300 kiloton nuclear warhead. And it was called the Peacekeeper. Our culture, our world has a little bit to learn about what peace truly means. When we turn to Scripture today, we recall that the New Testament was written in Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic, but it's the Hebrew word shalom that underlies our understanding of what biblical peace truly means. Shalom is a familiar term to us. It's still used in Hebrew today. If you go to Israel, people greet one another with the words shalom, peace be unto you. Unless 
They're from southern Israel. There they say, Shalom, y'all. It's true. Go visit. You'll find out. In English, oftentimes when we talk about peace, it just means the absence of conflict. But the Hebrew understanding of shalom is deeper and it's fuller. Shalom is right relationship. Of being the person God created you to be. Of embracing everything that makes you fully human. And that means right relationship both with God as well as with those around us. There are multiple translations of the Bible out there. One of the more intriguing ones is the amplified version of the Bible. If you've never seen one, pick one up in a a Christian bookstore, look at it online. It takes each verse and expands it with all sorts of different synonyms and nuances. Matthew 5, 9 in the amplified version reads, Blessed, spiritually calm, with life, joy, and God's favor, are makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express God's character and they will be called children of God. If we are going to be peacemakers in our world, it begins by experiencing God's peace in our own lives. Because you can't share peace with others if you don't have it yourself. I have a colleague in ministry who oftentimes for the benediction likes to say to the congregation, go in peace, not to pieces. It's a wonderful sentiment. It's a difficult mandate. Because we live in a fragmented world that tries to pull us apart. And it's not only out there, it's also in here. And oftentimes we find ourselves struggling as people called Christian to embrace what it means to be a Christian. Uh, This past spring we read uh, Paul's letter to the Romans during our Route 66 journey through the New Testament. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul gets real. He talks about his struggles in the faith. Now remember, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who declared the gospel around the Mediterranean basin, who formed and founded all those churches, who wrote about a third of the New Testament, was eventually martyred for the faith. That Paul. And in Romans 7, he writes about his struggles. And he says, I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. And the very things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he talks about that inward struggle that threatens to pull us apart and how ultimately the only way you find peace to put the pieces of your life together is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That isn't dependent upon the external circumstances of the world or even the internal struggles of our lives. But it's based on the sure knowledge of who we are and whose we are and that God holds us both now and forevermore. In John, the 14th chapter, Jesus spent his final evening with the disciples. And in a passage that we typically use at funerals, Jesus said to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And he went on to say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. 
And whatever we find ourselves going through today, Jesus offers us a peace that passes all understanding. It's out of that reality and that experience that we then are called to be peacemakers with others. And we find this principle over and again in the Beatitudes. You've heard me talk about it two or three times. You hear it over again in my sermons. It's repetitiously redundant, but here is the spiritual principle. Our relationship with God always affects and reflects our relationship with others. That that vertical relationship with God always has implications for that horizontal relationship with those about us. And if we're going to have peace with God, then we've got to share that peace with others. And by sharing that peace with others, we are reinforcing our peace with God. Paul wrote to the church and said in Corinthians, God has called us to live in peace. This is the mark of the Christian community that leads to unity. Jesus told his disciples, they're going to know you're my followers by your love. That means seeking peace in our relationships with those about us. Some years ago, there was a very popular Bumper sticker that had a wonderful aspiration. It declared, Envision World Peace. It's a nice sentiment, isn't it? There was a counter bumper sticker that came out later, and it read, Forget World Peace. Envision using your turn signal. The reality is, most of us cannot affect world peace. We watch the news. We feel like children in a game of keep away. We're playing with adults. The ball is so far over our heads we cannot affect its flight. What can I as one person do to affect world peace? Now certainly we're called to work for it. We're called to pray for it. When there are victims of conflicts, we're called to be in ministry to them. But it's real easy to say, well, I can't affect world peace, but we can affect peace with those around us. It turns out that peace is as personal as your toothbrush. It's not just out there on a global stage. It's also in our individual lives. And we all choose whether we promote or demote peace in our relationships. It's been said that everybody can light up a room. Some people light up the room when they come in. Other people light up the room when they leave. All of us can make peace. Some of us make peace when we walk in the room. Some of us when we walk out. What if it's this binary, this simple? Two choices. Peacemaker or troublemaker. When you put it that bluntly, we all know which side we want to be on, but allowing God's peace to flow in our lives into our relationships with others is always challenging. There's a story later in Jesus' ministry that I think illustrates graphically this understanding of experiencing peace with God in order to extend it to others. It occurs in Luke, the 19th chapter. Very familiar story. Our children know the story. It occurred when Jesus and the disciples were traveling through the city of Jericho, and there he encountered a chief tax collector whose name was Zacchaeus. I remember learning about Zacchaeus when I was a young child in Sunday school, not through scripture, but through a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man 
A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And the Lord said, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. And it's a wonderful story. Children love it. They love it for a variety of reasons. First of all, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And children who stand waist high to adults understand how frustrating it be It can be not to be able to see over their heads and see the passing parade. Secondly, it's a funny story. Because here is a grown man who gathers his robes about his waist, runs to a tree, climbs up it, which is another favorite activity of children, in order to see Jesus. And there's that wonderful moment of discovery when Jesus looks up and sees Zacchaeus perched in the tree like a turkey gone to roost. And then there's a happy ending that Jesus invites Zacchaeus to come down. He wants to go to his house and have dinner. And there the villain becomes the hero as Zacchaeus is saved. And they all live happily ever after. And that's the G-rated version we tell our children. The reality is Luke 19 is rated M for mature. Because it's a story of human evil as well as divine transformation. We're told that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector of Jericho, a Jewish man who was a collaborator with the Roman Empire. And his other Jewish neighbors regarded him as a traitor and as a person who had fallen from the faith. In fact, oftentimes when you're reading the Gospels, you'll come across the phrase sinners and tax collectors. He's not just a tax collector, he's the chief one over Jericho, an important city in that region that stands on the north-south road as well as the east-west one that runs to Jerusalem. So he is wealthy, he is influential, he is hated, he is despised. But there is something when he hears that Jesus is coming through town that drives him to see the Lord. But he can't. The crowds are too thick, they're too wide, and... Although no one would ever confront Zacchaeus to his face in the anonymity of a crowd, there are plenty of chances to shove and to push and to kick and to elbow. But out of his desperation, some need he cannot even define, he finally chooses to climb up a tree. And there is that moment of discovery. Can you imagine what he felt? What others felt when Jesus spied him and called him by name? And then Jesus went and ate with him. One of the charges brought against Jesus over and again was that he associated with sinners, which is a good thing for you and for me. And at the conclusion of that meal, Zacchaeus not only had a life-transforming experience with the Lord, he recognized intuitively that had to affect his relationship with others. And he said, Lord, I'm taking half of all I have and given it to the poor. And if I've defrauded or cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times over. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. If we're going to be peacemakers, it means first experiencing the risen Lord in our lives and allowing that to transform who we are to experience an inward peace. Then allow it to outflow into our relationships with others.
Paul wrote to the church and said, we're called to the ministry of reconciliation, of making right what is wrong, of making whole what is broken, of taking all the different relationships in our life and not simply having an absence of conflict, but having a fullness of relationship with the Lord and with them in turn. Jesus told his disciples later in Matthew chapter 5, if you are offering your gift at an altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. Now it's important he says leave the gift here, okay? So leave it here. And then go make a right relationship with your brother or your sister and then come back and worship God. Because our relationships are always interconnected and you can't pull them apart. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but he learned a really big lesson that day and it was that this peace that he found with God, he had to be a peacemaker with others. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. We're brothers and sisters of the Prince of Peace and when we our peacemakers, we express God's very character, God's very nature, and we are recognized as God's sons and God's daughters. So this morning, I invite you to consider several different action points in your life. The first is we all come into this, wor- into this place from the world with all the stuff of life of all this going on out there, of all this going on in here. And there are times we feel like we're being pulled apart and torn into pieces. I remind you today that we are God's and God is ours. And our Lord holds us both now and forevermore. And whatever stuff of life you bring to the altar, hear the words that Jesus pronounced over the raging waves over the Sea of Galilee. Peace. Be still. In all of our relationships, there are places that are broken, places that need mending. And sometimes it was the other person's primary fault. And we may well be carrying with us bitterness, an unforgiving spirit, grudges in our lives. Are we willing to let that go today to God? To experience some peace in our life and to begin to promote peace in that relationship? Contrary is also true. There have been some people that we have hurt in our own lives. And if we're real honest before God and before others, it was primarily our fault And we need to seek out as ministers of reconciliation to tell them we're sorry and to the best of our ability to try to make up for the wrong that we have done. What does it look like to be a peacemaker in your life? And how will it change who you are as we leave this place and go into the world? I want to lead us in a prayer that has been ascribed to St. Francis of Assisi. And I invite you to make the words your own this day. Let us pray. Lord, 
Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me bring love. Where there's offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives, it is in self-forgetting that one finds, it is in pardoning that one is pardoned, it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.